Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. Kamal, have you gotten in touch with Miriam in, in like the last 24 hours or so? Or have you heard from her recently? I, I got a message from her. Uh, I got a message from Miriam. I wasn't able to speak to her. Um, Can you read the message to us? Um, I'm. If, it's actually two messages. Uh, if Australia doesn't save, I think the Aussies here right now, we're slaves and we're screwed. And I think I'm going to die. That's the two messages she received overnight from her. That can't be an easy text to receive as a father. No. It's not. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 the fear of the unknown, and the fear of not knowing. But they are they are more petrified of the Syrians taking over than of anything else, um, and that's their worst case scenario. And that's that's that. ISIS cells and Syrian regime are the two biggest threats, and they seem to be becoming realised as the days progress. Mm. And do you think that Mariam's fears are justified? Yeah, absolutely. I think her fears are justified. Absolutely, they are. If the Syrians come in, absolutely they are. Over the past few months, I've been getting to know a group of families in Australia who have been organising, providing solace to one another because they're members of this strange club of people whose daughters and mothers and sisters are the family members of ISIS fighters. The person who I've gotten to know the best is Kamal Tabusi. I wanted to be an engaged father. Um, I wanted to grow up with people around her that loved her and that she could uh, find solace with, that she could find friendships with. That's really the expectations that I I'd had. Um, I, I, you know, I never had the expectations that in my hand it was going to be a future doctor or chemist or engineer. Or that. that wasn't in my thoughts. It was really just making her happy well-rounded child and, and hopeful that she can achieve whatever she wanted to achieve. Mm. And, uh, and I, I tried. In the months since the United States defeated ISIS in Syria, ISIS militants and their family members have been held in prison camps controlled by the U.S.-allied Kurdish forces. And in that time, parents around the world have been trying to get their daughters and grandchildren back to their home countries. But in the two weeks since President Trump abruptly recalled U.S. troops from the Syrian border, the fate of these women and children 
has become an urgent and unknown question. The Kurdish forces that had been guarding the camps have turned to defending themselves from the Turkish military coming across the border. And their new allies in Syria are now poised to take control of the camps. Today on The Daily, my colleague Livia Albeck-Ripka follows one father as he fights to get his daughter home. It's Monday, October 21st. Livia, tell me about Mariam. Mariam was Kamal's first child. She was born in 1991. He describes her as this really... Um, she was a stubborn little thing. <laughs> stubborn, lively toddler, and she kind of ran rings around her parents. She had a great wonder for the world. Um, she always wanted to go out exploring. She always wanted to go out and visit. She always wanted to go out and see. Even just 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 down to the local shop to get something was an adventure for her. And she'd walk out and she'd she'd be the first. You know, she'd be dressed right away to go. And and she'd love to go out and see whatever she could see with the world. Um, and and she was determined. And they were lovely. You, you didn't want a child to sit in a corner and just say yes sir, no sir. You wanted to go out and explore and test the boundaries and and figure out the world. And and she was all of that and more. She took up every space in our life, if I could put it that way. She's really boisterous, strong-willed, and from pretty early on, she starts to express to Kamal that she really wants a little brother or sister. It's kind of like from the very beginning, she knows that she wants to have a big family. So Kamal and his wife have a little girl, Mariam's sister. They kind of adored each other. They just had this wonderful sibling relationship. So this very much sounds like the kind of childhood that Kamal was hoping for Mariam. It was, but it didn't last. Kamal's marriage wasn't working out. Eventually, the two separate and they split up the girls. Mariam is about 12, 13 at this time. She's really upset about the split, but a decision is made. She's going to go and and live with Kamal. And at first, it's it's tough. Then when she passed a certain age um, and she, she started to, um, to understand things a bit better, we became very close. And, and she... They have Sunday morning pancakes together and they become closer and closer. They kind of, they tell each other everything. You know, we became, she became my, you know, a very close friend, not only my daughter, but a close friend. Um, I've heard you call her your best friend. Yes, she, she was my best friend growing up. She had... Uh, by virtue of fact, we were in the same house. She had my secrets and I had her secrets. And, um, and she knew that. And, and uh, One day, Mariam meets a boy. His name is Khaled. And she's only 16. Um, so it takes a little while for Kamal to, to get to know this guy. But he likes him. He says... I did. I very much liked him. He was sweet. He was gentle. He was a little bit undisciplined in what he was doing in life, he actually reminded he reminded me of myself a fair bit. Mm. I quite liked him. He was very, you know, he was, he seemed to have the temperament for her as well. She was... Khaled also has this really big, stable family that it's clear Mariam is drawn to. Um, his family had been a bit more traditional and conservative than I, I was. But they're a little more strict and conservative than Kamal's practice of Islam which is more philosophical, 
more based on his interpretation of, of what he thinks the laws mean rather than ritualistically practicing them. But he says these people are really good people. He likes them. So eventually, Mariam comes to Kamal and she is barely 18. She tells him she wants to marry Khaled. I didn't have an objection to him. I had an objection to their age. Kamal says no way. She kind of accepts it and she asks him again and again and again. And finally, Kamal relinquishes. He says, okay, who am I to stand in the way of this? She wanted a family and, and she wanted children and that's, that's, that's really where her want was. So um, I just made sure that that was her choice and not that she was being bullied into it, basically. That's all I was really making sure with her and that was her choice. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was um, the next phase of her life and um, I was very happy for her. Um, I had hoped that uh, she had remained close to me, but um, circumstances were that she wasn't going to stay close to me that long after that. After Mariam marries Khaled, she moves in with him to a little granny flat at the back of his parents' home. They eventually have a baby. And Kamal starts noticing Mariam changing. It's it's nothing extreme at first. It's, it just seems to him that they're adopting the views of Khaled's family, becoming a little more conservative, praying more often. But it's when Mariam puts on the scarf. Which in itself is not it's not a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. just it's just she decides with a scarf. Where up until that stage, no one in my family wears a scarf, so it was it was a, it was a change. That. Um, he has questions. And I, you know, I didn't take the first answer she gave to me. I pushed and pushed to the point I was satisfied. What was that first answer? I know she just said I did it myself. No one's, no one's told me to do this. And I, I just, again, prodded and prodded and tried to make her see that sometimes the, uh, you could be, there could be suggestion made and you're not realised mm. that you're pushed into that corner and she felt, no, that she was quite, um, uh, she felt that she was um, making the decision herself. And eventually he accepts it because he believes it's her choice. Then they all go on this extended family trip. It's really fun and exciting. Khaled's never been overseas before. He and Mariam have this new baby girl and they go to Malaysia and then they go to Dubai. And He was fun-loving. He was, he was out and about. We were exploring. We did a desert safari tour together. It's all really good, but Kamal does notice Khaled drawing a little bit away from him and he tries to talk to him. He says that Khaled, who he calls Kay, was was doing all these extra prayers. Kamal kind of questions it, but Kay won't engage with him. There's this block. And so I thought to myself, okay, I, I need to do a bit more work on this one gently rather than trying to, you know, two ways to break a stone, you know, either get a sledgehammer and break it or a drop of water slowly mm. to break it open. I want to take the drop of water approach slowly to break it open and see if I can get some conversations and start challenging some of those thoughts. So Kamal has to get back to Australia for work. He leaves his daughter and his son-in-law in Dubai and they go on to Lebanon and they're supposed to go on from there to Greece and then 
come home to Australia. But while they're in Lebanon, Khaled suggests a trip to Turkey. Kamal doesn't really read too much into this. Turkey's a beautiful country, beautiful place to visit. But then communication started to dissipate. And then it kind of goes quiet for a couple of weeks. And then there's a knock on his door. It was the police. They told him, your daughter is in Syria. Oh, I, I was in disbelief. I said, no, that could, couldn't be the case. I was just disbelief. I just didn't believe it to be true. Kamal really starts to worry. He, he starts trying to call his contacts. He starts trying to find Mariam and he, he can't. And a month goes by before he does. Some text messages, some phone calls start to come in from Mariam. She says, I'm safe. She doesn't tell her father where she is. And she says, don't do anything stupid. I really refused for it to be true until Mariam had said to me, saying, no, Dad, I thought you might have realised what had happened to me. And I don't want you to do anything risky to yourself. Just just stay put, basically, is what she said to me. And so that, that, was, that was actually the real moment that I knew that's where she was. She was with ISIS. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Facebook. It's been 25 years since lawmakers passed comprehensive internet regulations. But the internet has changed a lot since then. And it's time for an update. That's why Facebook supports updated internet regulations to set clear guidelines for addressing today's toughest challenges, like protecting privacy, fighting misinformation, reforming Section 230, and more. See their progress on key issues and what's next at about.fb.com regulations. Livia, this would have been 2015, so the year after ISIS declared the caliphate and started to call on Muslims around the world to join them there. In these early days, what's Kamal's understanding of Miriam's role in ISIS? Did he think that she might be a combatant? Did he think she was kind of a passive supporter who was suddenly in the midst of these true believers? I mean, what was his sense of this? He didn't know he was sort of surviving on this drip feed of information that was coming to him via sporadic texts and calls. Sometimes he didn't even know if the text messages were from Mariam herself or she would be on a call and she'd say, Dad, don't talk, I'll talk. And it was clear to him that somebody was was watching her and controlling her. And so he really, he doesn't know. Mm. But he does have doubts. There's a small period of time, of course, you, you doubt the situation. Mm. You, you doubt everything that you know. You know, you reevaluate everything that you know. When, and you, like most people, I suppose, you go through different options in your head and different scenarios in your head and you try and figure out what's, what's, what's right and what's not right. Did it seem like something Mariam would be capable of doing? No, it wasn't something Mariam was capable of doing. But to say I never thought that could be a possibility... I thought about it. There was a period of time I thought, maybe she chose to go. How would that have made you feel as a father? 
Very disappointed. Very, very disappointed. Quite shocked, mm. actually, um, knowing everything we'd done together and everything we'd grown up together and everything that she knew that I believed in and, and what I thought she believed in, I would have been really shocked. Um, I, yeah. Once they had made initial contact, Kamal and Mariam kept talking as much as they could, given the censorship, all of the monitored communication. And it's some time after this that Kamal learns that Khaled has been killed. And here and there, Mariam starts to suggest that she no longer wants to be there. Kamal said she would sneak away without any guards and text Kamal a few words. During one of these private moments, she told him, I was forced. And finally, she tells Kamal she's going to make a break for it. Because in some of the discussions that we had backwards and forwards um, by text, which would later be deleted, she intimated that she, she, she needed to move, which was sort of, I got from her an idea that she needed to, to move out of where she was. After that, Kamal didn't hear from her for 19 months. Not a word. And um, uh, it was absolutely an awful time in my life. I didn't know whether she was alive or dead. I didn't know whether she made it safe. I didn't know the condition of the kids. Um, I, you know, went into a depression. I sought medical help. I sought professional help as the days and the months passed. Um, and I, I, I had started to think towards the end of that period of time that she may have succumbed, that actually she may never be coming home. Um, and then... One day he goes into his bedroom... And he looks at his phone. And looking at my phone, and there were these several messages. Boba, it's me. Dad, it's me. Dad, it's me. Call me. Call me. And I called the phone. It was her voice. And, and literally I collapsed. Um, just to know that she was alive and she was okay. And um, she could tell me what had happened to her. She, uh, she told me that there's another child. Um... And what happened next? Um, well, then she said to me, Dad, if it was difficult before with two kids, it's now even more difficult with three kids. I'm, I'm not going to try and make a break for it until there's absolute safety and things are going to happen. So she's basically... He says, she tells him, it's too dangerous to try again. But by 2018, ISIS is under siege. And in the months that have passed, they're down to virtually no territory at all and the bombing is intensifying. Mariam says her second husband is also killed and then she's forced into a third marriage. But that third marriage wasn't as dramatic as the second marriage, if I can mm. put it that way. Um, I think he, he wasn't a fighter by, by the accounts. He was, he was uh, working in the hospital. I was told that he was actually a bit more um, supportive with her. Sometime after her third husband is captured, Kamal gets advice that Mariam should surrender to Kurdish forces who have been key allies to the US in this fight against ISIS and who hold territory in northeastern Syria. And then in early 2019, she contacts her father and she lets him know she's ended up in the Al-Hol camp where the families of ISIS fighters are being held, which is where she meets the other Australian women. 
They begin to forge friendships with one another. They kind of connect their tents up to protect themselves from the more radicalised women who have been known to beat and even mutilate other women in the camp who they perceive to be non-believers. And then Mariam thinks to herself, hey, we should get our parents to talk to one another. So she texts her dad and says, you and the other family members need to talk to one another. You need to get us out of here. So Kamal starts making contact with the family members of these women and this strange club starts to form. For so long, for years, in most cases, these families have been keeping a secret that their sisters, their daughters are in Syria and suddenly they have a forum where they can connect with one another and talk about how hard it's been and also begin to organise and discuss how they might get them out. They're having meetings, they're writing letters to politicians, they're stressing to government that if they're to get these women and children out, now is the time to do it. The Kurds are running the camp, things are relatively stable, but the families sense that this isn't going to last for that long. And it's at this time that Kamal is also planning a trip to Syria. He thinks, well, even if he can't get his daughter out, he wants to see her. And it's also an opportunity to make contact with the Kurds and the Americans to try to figure out the logistics of what it might look like to get her and the other women and children out. So earlier this year, he goes. He visits her in the Al-Hal camp. Whatever you heard about the camp, seeing it was different. Um, this was summer. It was 50-degree heat that we were facing. It is 50 we degrees Celsius, or more than 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And you looked out and... There was not a green thing in sight, not a tree, not grass. All it was was rocks, and there were these tents sitting on top of these rocks. Um, And it really felt like a moonscape, a dusty moonscape. And and it was just so hot that just getting some water to the camp was difficult. Going to get water and bring it back was difficult. So describe to me this first moment that you see Mariam. How does she look? How does she react to you? Um, so we could see the car pull up. We could see them getting out of the car. We could see them running towards us. Um, and Marion was carrying the youngest one on her hand and uh, she, she just hugged me. And um, she was started to, you know, very excited, breathing very heavy. And I kept telling her, just, just breathe, just relax, I'm here. But, you know, she just can't say, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe that you're here. I can't believe you made it. I can't believe you made it. Um, And she just turned around and said, I'm broken. I need my dad. I need my dad. Um, So tell me about the moment that she actually lifted the niqab off her face and you you saw her. Well, she'd she'd lifted... I'd said to her, let me see you, let me see you. And then she'd lifted the niqab off her face just privately. And... um, I was shocked with how much weight she'd lost. 
I was shocked with um, how pale her skin was. Um, but no, I couldn't show any of that, of course. Um, and uh, and uh, I, I just saw her and then, then she put the car back down. She wouldn't leave it up for very long. Mariam then takes Kamal to see the camp. But after only a few hours, he has to leave. The Australian government hasn't made up its mind what to do with Mariam and the other women and children. So he goes home, alone. So after that visit, Kamal returns to Sydney. He's driving from Sydney to Melbourne. It's about a 10-hour drive and he's going to Melbourne to meet with some family members of the women and children. He's on the road and he gets a call. It's a journalist who tells him, did you see Trump's tweet? The US has just given Turkey permission to cross the border. It dawns on Kamal in this moment that everything they had been pressing the government for for months, their worst fears could come true. That a Turkish incursion would sow instability in the region, which could ultimately cost the lives of his daughter and his grandchildren. And he knows this window to get them out is suddenly growing very, very short. So he pulls over on the side of the road and he weeps. Um, um, it's, um, it's, it's shifting hour by hour. Uh, the Syrian forces coming into that space, I don't know what it means for everyone. I, I really don't know what it means for everyone. Mm. Um, so I'm going to try, um, sorry, and even though it's, it's, a, it's three o'clock in the morning there, try and ring through. To Mariam, would you mind putting it on speaker? Hello? Hello? Okay. Okay, sorry. The system's not letting me get through. Some, yeah. story. We'll be right back. The FX original documentary Pride is a six-part series from Emmy award-winning Killer Films and Grand Jury Prize-winning Vice Studios. Six renowned LGBTQ plus directors explore heroic and heartbreaking stories that define us as a nation, chronicling the struggle for LGBTQ plus civil rights in America from the 1950s through the 2000s. FX's Pride is a special two-week event starting Friday, May 14th on FX. Streaming next day FX on Hulu. Here's what else you need to know today. Order! Order! The eyes to the right, 322. 
The nose to the left, 306. Parliament has rejected an agreement between Prime Minister Boris Johnson and the European Union for Britain to leave the EU by the end of October, likely requiring yet another delay in the Brexit process, possibly until January. Despite skepticism of the agreement, Johnson had hoped that enough lawmakers fed up with previous delays would approve it over the weekend. As Parliament voted, an estimated one million people demonstrated against Brexit on the streets of downtown London, arguing for a new referendum to keep Britain in the EU. And President Trump has reversed course on his decision to hold the next G7 summit of world leaders at his own resort in Florida, which both Democrats and Republicans had called an illegal act of self-dealing by the president. He was honestly surprised at the level of pushback. At the end of the day, you know, he still considers himself to be a, in the hospitality business, and he saw an opportunity to take uh, the, the biggest leaders from around the world, and he wanted to put on the absolute best uh, show, the best visit that he possibly could, and he was very confident. In a tweet over the weekend, Trump cited the criticism and said he would immediately begin searching for an alternate location. I think it's the right decision to change. We'll have to find someplace else. And my guess is we'll find someplace else that the media won't like um, either uh, for another reason. I just have to pick up. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. When times became uncertain... Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more.